Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I'll share the story of Shadow Warrior, the bravest horse that I ever had the honor to own. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. On today's episode, I'd like to talk to you about one of the bravest horses I've ever known, and also a horse that is probably the finest horse I ever had the honor to own myself personally. His name was Shadow Warrior, and he was born in 2008. He was a son of AP Indy. And those of you who maybe know something about AP Indy know that he's a big personality. Even now, I think he's age 32. And uh, in the show notes, I'll include a video from AP Indy's birthday, his most recent birthday. And uh, he's just still feisty and has this just incredible presence and swagger still. So Shadow was a son of AP Indy. He raced in the United States for about 13 times. He broke his maiden at Churchill Downs, I think it was in 2010. And he was just a, a big, tall, cocky, sort of full of himself kind of racehorse. I had exchanged some messages with one of his early trainers in the States, and he said that Shadow was pretty arrogant kind of guy, a really great athlete, but also could be a little hard on the staff. You know, he was prone to nipping and just sort of being that classic kind of frat boy type personality. The trainer said that he had taken sort of charge of him personally and that he and Shadow had definitely worked out an understanding and Shadow was quite good to work with as long as you sort of respected him and set some boundaries. But then Shadow was not having the kind of upper caliber career that you might have expected from his lineage. And so he eventually went to Puerto Rico. And in Puerto Rico, he raced another 70 times over the course of about four years. He ended his career there in 2017 after Hurricane Maria. And for those of you who don't know, Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico in the fall of 2017. The racetrack there was especially affected and almost a thousand horses were left there with very little food, water, shelter even. Uh, The island was in such a devastation. They were having trouble getting humanitarian aid to people and it was just a very difficult situation all around. An aftercare group in Puerto Rico, Caribbean Thoroughbred Aftercare, was helping to coordinate sort of the rescue and care of these horses during this time of devastation on the island. They were assisted by many, many of the racetrack people, um, especially the starting gate crew, and as many people who could help did. Again, the island was incredibly devastated by the hurricanes, and people were having trouble even with basic transportation. So the efforts of CTA and many of the people who were at the track at the time were simply heroic, and these horses fortunately were able to to be saved. There were many groups in the United States, uh, Thoroughbred Charities of America is one group, Teva is another group, Ranch Aid, the American Association of Equine Practitioners. Many, many groups came together to fly in alfalfa cubes, veterinary supplies, all kinds of things to get these horses as safe as possible. But Shadow was one of the horses there who nobody came for. He was abandoned at the track after the hurricane. And uh, we heard about his plight. This is when I was working full-time, all the time, for LOPE, the Racehorse Adoption Charity. 
and we heard that he was in need of placement. And while we're, we're a small charity in Texas, we have a war horse program. And for those of you who don't know, war horses are horses who've raced at least 50 times and who are still running at an older age. And Shadow, of course, definitely qualified for that. They sent us photos of him. He's a big, handsome gelding, obviously a little thin. He had some really good-sized racing ankles on him. And we, we were more than happy to take him. So CTA raised the funds to send him to us, and he arrived at our farm in Texas in around December of 2017. He was pretty, he was pretty withdrawn, as you can imagine. He'd been through a lot. He'd been through hurricanes. He's been through a long trip to the United States and from Florida all the way to Texas once he arrived in the United States. But even so, even accounting for all of that, I noticed pretty quickly that that something was different about Shadow. He had an intensity that was quiet, but was very noticeable. And then he periodically would have strange reactions to things. Uh, If raindrops hit him, he would flinch and kick out, uh, even if it was very mild rain. Uh, If he was in the stall and you came in a little too abruptly, he would become extremely defensive. Um, and he would do that in a very uh, sort of rapid fire way. In other words, there wasn't a ton of warning that that was about to happen. Other times you could come into the stall and he would be fine. At our ranch, we have electrobraid fencing, which is very common in Texas. So there was electrical charge on the wire. And we introduced the horses to it slowly. We have one smaller pen that only part of the fencing is electrified. And that's typically where we put new horses so they can learn gradually. The first time that Shadow touched his nose to the Electrobraid, he had the most intense reaction I'd ever seen. I thought he was having some form of a seizure. He was almost hysterical. He was flinging himself about. He had this look on his face that was a mix of panic and terror and just maybe a little bit of hostility all mixed into one, but mostly he was terrified. And I noted that and I wondered, why the extreme reaction? I wondered if maybe there had been a lot of lightning during the hurricane. Maybe maybe something had happened where there was a lot of electricity in the air and that he had a lot of trauma. But I soon came to find out that there was more going on with Shadow than hurricane trauma, as serious as that was. Uh, there was an incident where I was out picking his pen and he came a little close into my space, seemingly friendly. But those of you who work with horses a lot know that there are boundaries that are important to maintain. So that if a horse pushes into your space, however friendly his expression, it's important to indicate that, no, I have this space bubble. And when I did that with Shadow, at first he seemed just a little reluctant as if he was confused to yield the space to me. But then he slowly turned away and as I was stepping back to go back to the manure, uh, to the manure pile I was picking at the time, he whirled around from a pretty solid distance away and grabbed my bicep in his teeth and just squeezed. It was a very unique kind of bite. And it was also a very intense moment, the way he whirled and came at me. I've never had a horse do that before, not like that. And then my first response was to simply not move and just sort of wait for him to let go of my arm, which I hoped he would do soon because it was, it was pretty uncomfortable. And fortunately, he did just let go of my arm, and he walked away very slowly, almost as if he'd been sedated. And uh, I did some research and talked with some of the folks 
in Puerto Rico, and I came to discover that there is a tradition there in some of the barns to use electricity as a training tool. And uh, not everyone does this. There are a lot of excellent people in the racing industry in Puerto Rico, but there is also a lot of lack of knowledge in some of the circles there at the track. And I also believe that to some degree, sort of ignorance of how to handle horses is part of that. Many of the people who first come to work at the track there might not have any background with large animals. And it can be seen, I think, as a way to control an animal that can hurt you. It also was used as a training tool to create, I guess what you would say, a behavioral response to the sound of the starting gate. So this was a fairly intense scenario. Given the kind of horse that Shadow had been before he went into that situation, again, kind of a big personality, jock, frat boy, prone to arrogance, kind of a dominant horse. In a sense, what happened to him there in Puerto Rico was it took away the best of his personality, the thing that was to him the most important, maybe his pride in himself, his athleticism. And he had become fearful, and he also had a reputation for being extremely hostile at the track, uh, biting and kicking, And uh, which you can't blame him for that, in my opinion. I felt like that was a reasonable response. But here I was with this horse who had uh, quite a lot of trouble, a trouble of a deeper kind. Um, I've worked with horses off the track on and off for, you know, at that point for several years, but I, I had not worked with horses that were what I would say deeply troubled or horses that had had uh, abuse or incredible mishandling like this. And I had not too much idea what to do. And here we were, he, he, he was there now. Uh, we would not maybe have taken him in if we'd known he'd had aggression and sort of PTSD issues to this degree. But now that he was with us, we were responsible for him. And that was a responsibility I took very seriously. So the first thing I started to do was when I went to feed him, I would use the flag. He had to stand back from the food until I put it into his bucket. And then he could only come to the food when I indicated with the flag that he could come forward. And he had to come forward with a good expression. This brought up a lot of emotion, as you can imagine, and a lot of intensity. Sometimes I felt like I was essentially Game of Thrones dragon wrestler. Uh, he would be extremely vehement that he could indeed, he should indeed be able to come up to that feed before I was ready. But I still felt even in those moments, like we were getting an understanding. I never felt like he was actually going to attack me again, unless I did something really kind of cruel and aggressive. So I had at least gotten to that part of the scenario where I could do that for him. But that was all I knew what to do. At that point, I reached out to some good friends in the horsemanship community. I talked with a couple of people, got some good advice. And then one of my friends, Nathan Greiner, really stepped forward to mentor and coach me through this process. We had several talks about Shadow. What, what could I do to help him that was safe for him and safe for me? Again, I have solid horse experience, but I don't know how to work a horse off a saddle horse. I don't know how to rope a horse who has this kind of trouble. There's limitations to my skill level, um, mostly because very few people go start out saying, hey, I really want to work with the most troubled horses ever. And that was definitely not me. 
And yet, as I said, I felt this huge responsibility to him. And there weren't a lot of options for him. We could have put him down. That was a viable option for safety. But at that point, it didn't seem like it was the time for that. He was trying to work with me, this horse. He had a lot of trouble, but he also was an incredibly intelligent horse. He was still making choices. He was still making decisions. And it required a great deal of awareness on my part, a great deal of vigilance. But I felt that we were working out a relationship in which we could communicate and work together at least somewhat safely in small doses. So Nathan and I had many discussions about things to try, uh, how to work with him with the flag to desensitize him so that he would learn that the touch of the flag did not mean electricity, how to work with him in a safe proximity to how to use the fence between he and I to work with him on the flag, to work with the coils of the rope, and mostly just to pay attention to all of those odd things. Uh, a lot of people, including myself in that moment, like to think that horsemanship and working with horses is a science. That if you know all of the right moves and all of the right behavioral cues, that you'll be able to solve every riddle. Um, but the reality is, is that it's a lot more of an art. That each horse is such an individual and that you have to reach within yourself to change things, to adapt to what that horse needs, to change things in yourself. The last thing I ever thought I would be doing would be working with a horse that had this degree of aggression. It's just not something that I had on my to-do list for the year or even for the decade. But here he was, and I felt like I needed to bring out the best that I could to him. So with Nathan's help, long distance, we slowly and steadily Shadow and I made progress together. And it really felt like we were making progress together. I was learning how to be better. I was learning how to be more of a, not just a leader, but also to just be effective in my cues, to give him the right kind of clarity, yet also be ready to release for the slightest try. Sometimes releasing felt like a very scary thing to do when you're dealing with a horse with this type of presence. But he always appreciated my efforts to get that timing correct. And I appreciated his appreciation because when he was appreciating that, he didn't want to hurt me. I also felt that he never really wanted to hurt me personally. It wasn't personal. It was just that there were so many things, so much damage in there, that there can be a combination of triggers and I could be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's not unlike troubled people, people who've had trauma, people who've maybe been victims of crime, people who've been you know, endured the worst natural disasters like he did. It can create scenarios where defensiveness and aggressiveness blur together. And so I, I felt a certain degree of empathy as well as caution with Shadow. Lope did a series of installments on his story last year that go into some detail about the different stages of our, our learning process together, Shadow and I. And I will include links to those in the show notes. What basically started to happen over the course of about six to eight months was that Shadow slowly, slowly began to trust me. And he also began to emerge as a personality. You could see what he was and had been underneath there. And at this stage, what was coming up was this really kind of quirky, humorous personality, which was very 
it was very rewarding to see that. It was actually very moving to see that. He would try to play with the water hose. He would beg to be squirted on the face. Um, he just had a, a very expressive face. You could always tell kind of when he wanted to interact with you, he'd come up, he'd just have a very engaging way about him. But he also would have many days where he would stand under a tree quietly with his back to the driveway, to the bustle of the household, and clearly wanted to be left alone. There was a lot of subtlety in his expression. Uh, one of the first times when I started to work with him after I had been talking with Nathan, it took me 90 minutes to halter him. Not because I had to chase him. He was standing still for that entire 90 minutes. But I was watching the expression in his face and in his jaw, and it would change. It would go from receptive to completely withdrawn. I would take a step forward. He would withdraw with just sort of a glance or a, a, maybe just a, an opaqueness in his eyes, and I would step back, but I would wait. And then he would look at me and be receptive, and I would take a step forward again, and I would wait. This went on for, like I said, 90 minutes. And at the end of that, he was yawning, having massive releases, licking and chewing. It was a big moment for him that I had waited those 90 minutes. I don't think I would have known to do that had I not been getting some good mentoring and coaching. But it's also when you are in the moment with a horse like that, to the degree that you can be aware and just be quiet, you can often get a sense of what to do. And that's what felt right in that moment. I'm not a person who likes to be mystical about working with horses. I like to be practical. But one of the things that Shadow taught me was the importance of just paying attention to the horse and responding to what you are sensing from that animal. It felt very important to do that. And as a result of kind of this long, slow time together, Shadow progressed to the point where we began to work with him in demonstrations at our farm. Very small demonstrations in the round pen. And who we did the demonstrations for were local at-risk youth. There is a foster group for young teens and boys in the foster care program near our organization. It's called the Burke Center for Youth. And a couple of times we had some of these young boys come out and watch me work with Shadow, and we told Shadow's story to them. And the boys helped us a little bit. They would be on the other side of the round pen fence, but I might have them all get up and move a certain way and see how Shadow responded and help them learn to be aware of what he was sort of thinking about, but also helping Shadow get used to new things in a safe way. And the boys, they seemed to really respond to that. And Shadow seemed to respond to it as well in a positive way. And I began to feel very hopeful that Shadow would always maybe need to be handled a certain way, but that he could have a job. He could do maybe these demonstrations more often. Maybe he could become a permanent part of our organization and, and help people. All along during these many months, Shadow had recovered physically. He'd gained a lot of weight. He was relaxed and content in his body, if not sometimes his mind. And we had worked through that sort of phase where he had physically recovered from the hurricane and had also, even with that energy, still continued to respect the boundaries and be able to work with me safely. But then there was a change. There was a change at the beginning of this year, 2019. 
And what started to happen was that shadow wanted to, he was feeling better in a different way. I remember Shadow was an athlete. That was what he was bred to do. And by all accounts, it's what he loved to do. He did love to run. And what he started to bring into our sessions was this degree of athleticism. He wanted to do more. He wanted to do a bigger job, specifically with me. He thought that would be great if we could do this big job together. And so he had this exuberance, this this fineness in him that was coming back out that had to do with who he had been before all of the trauma, before all of the damage. And it was something that should have never come back. It was something that really should have stayed submerged forever. But it was coming back and he was offering it to me. And I found that very moving. At the same time, when he would offer that thing, that extra extra fine part of him, the part of him that was performance-based, the part of him that wanted to excel again. What came with that was the most intense part of the trouble because the last time he had done that job was when he had been hurt the most with the electricity. So when he brought up that good thing for me, that extra good thing, that was now coming up after over a year of working with him, this was finally coming back up. It came entwined with this intensity of, I might need to protect myself. So what would happen is I would be working with him and he would begin to really crowd my space, again, with almost this exuberant air. And I would have to defend my space with great intensity. And he would he would get right to the edge of that line where I would feel like I might need to exit in a minute. I might need to roll under the fence. And I would, I would just hold on for that one, two, three more seconds, and then he'd be like, ah, oh, okay, great. And he would completely soften, lick and chew, have a huge release, and it was all good. And it kind of reminded me, I, at the same time, I was working with another horse who was not as emotionally damaged as Shadow, but he had kind of a big frat boy personality too. He was in rehab and he would kind of do the thing where you're working with him on the ground and he'll be like, I'm a big frat boy and I'm going to get in your space. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call your bluff lady. Here I am. And I'd be like, no, I need you to get out of my space. And he'd be like, ah, all right. That was kind of a classic thing with this other horse. So Shadow was doing his version of that except the bluff that he wanted me to call was becoming increasingly dangerous. And each session, we would get to the stage, he would make that change. And it was a genuine change. But it wouldn't hold for very long. So the next time I worked with him, the intensity of the behavior would come up even stronger, but the change would come sooner. That was the pattern we started to get into. So uh, maybe let's say I'd worked with him and he'd done some rearing and striking and kicking out and then had yielded and genuinely had a great release. The next day I worked with him, he might just, instead of gradually working up to rearing and striking, he just might start rearing and striking. And then within five minutes, if I sort of held the line, so to speak, and was calm and steady, he would then have a release, a genuine change, a genuine softness. This was incredibly confusing to me 
and it felt like I was also, obviously it felt like it was dangerous, which it was, but it also was very hard for me to not keep trying because again, that part of him, he wasn't just being a jerk. He wasn't just being, um, he wasn't just trying to threaten me. It was all related to all of these good things are coming up. All of this, I want to offer you, hey lady, I want to offer you the best of me. I want to offer you my racing self, but I want to make sure that I don't ever get hurt again. But I also don't want you to let me down by being afraid of me. And so it was very complicated. This is all these things are happening like in split seconds. And uh, I started to kind of get that quiet feeling that we might not be able to keep working together, that we might need to look at euthanasia. I consulted with our veterinarians and began to just sort of have that at the back of my mind. It wasn't an option that I wanted to consider, but it was an important option to have ready in order to be a responsible steward. At this stage, and actually from the time he had first bitten me, I was the only one who was handling Shadow, cleaning his pen, no one else. I wouldn't permit it because of safety. And again, it wasn't because I was so perfect, this amazing horseman. It was just that I was, it was my responsibility. And so I was going to take the risk and it would be up to me, really. I was not going to have anyone else be endangered. At the same time, while we were making progress and then kind of now working through a regression with Shadow, we decided that it would be really great if we could do something positive with this information that we had about kind of some of the practices at certain barns in Puerto Rico. And so we raised funds and we worked again with the amazing Caribbean Thoroughbred Aftercare Group. And we found an amazing horseman to come and do a clinic in Puerto Rico for the uh, race trainers and barn staff and also the young jockeys at the jockey school. And that trainer's name or horseman's name was Gary Bailey of Bailey Horsemanship and Colt Starting. And Gary was an incredible horseman and teacher. And of course, he'd worked for the U.S. racing industry at a very high level for many, many years before he opened his own business. And that clinic was amazing. I was honored to be a part of it. And while I was at the track, um, I saw a lot of the good things that are in that industry there a lot of dedicated people, a lot of, of good horsemen. I also saw, though, a lot of troubled horses. And uh, one of the things that was the most striking to me was that when we were at the clinic, and I was organizing it, I was not a teacher, I was just sort of the administrator of the clinic, but uh, word got out that I had Shadow Warrior. And, you know, multiple people told me that he was one of the most, you know, aggressive and difficult horses at the track at the time. And again, my opinion of that had always been, well, good for Shadow. I mean, that that willingness to fight his fate was a good thing. It's probably why he survived, and particularly the hurricane, but also all the damage. But it made me again realize how entwined certain level of aggression was now with his his desire to perform. And it just troubled me. And uh, I came back home and started to work with Shadow again. And the same thing started to happen, only it was even more intense. He would actually sort of come up to me and indicate like, hey, lady, I need you to work with me right now. Like, I need this. And I would go, okay. And I would go in and start working with him. And he would immediately jump into some very intense behavior. 
and then almost immediately have a release. And the last time I worked with him, uh, it was on the surface, at first it just seemed like any other of these increasingly intense sort of work sessions we'd had. But what I felt from him as he, as he tried to edge closer and closer, and as I you know, sort of defended my space and also tried to calmly send him out and give him a place to go, what I felt was that the intensity level was so high and so, the line was so delicate that even if something as simple as if I tripped, if I hit a little uneven pocket of ground and slipped a little bit, that that might be enough to make the difference between getting seriously hurt or not. And Shadow, when he would make those changes, it meant a lot to him. But he was not in control. There was not a steady progression. Normally, when you have a horse that's troubled and you're making changes, they, those changes add up. They start to slowly gain traction. And I don't know why this phase with him, why it didn't happen sooner, why we had such a long, extended, solid phase. But again, I go back to he wanted to offer this part of him that had been submerged for so long. And it was an honor that he wanted to offer that to me. But there wasn't a safe way for that to come out. And I was responsible also for an organization and for other horses in my care. And if it had gotten to the point for me where I was at beyond my skills at that stage, I could not develop the skills fast enough to help him that it was time to euthanize him. And I had talked with some other horsemen who work with troubled horses like this. And it's possible if he had been maybe sounder, if he didn't have as many racing injuries, if he was younger, if he hadn't had as much trauma, maybe something could have been done by someone who was a lot better than me. I'm sure, I'm sure something could have been done at least temporarily by someone who was a lot better than me. But the best analogy I can give is that this kind of damage, it's kind of like if your car engine, if your car gets, if the electrical system gets wet in a flood. I speak from experience with this because I was in two, two flash floods and this happened with vehicles that I owned. So once the water hits the electric system in your vehicle, it's immediately totaled immediately, because it will never be reliable again. You might still have an electrical system that still kind of works on your vehicle, but at any given moment with no warning, it can become extremely erratic. And that was basically the scenario that Shadow was presenting. Even if we, it was feasible for us to send him to training with a top, top horseman for many months, he physically probably couldn't have handled that training with his degree of uh, arthritic change and, and racing ankles from the track. But also, it was fairly low chances that it would ever hold. So very sadly, we euthanized him. But where I'm going with this is not to give you some saga of a sad horse that we had to euthanize because I couldn't quite get the skills together in time or because it was such an awful scenario. The point of this particular podcast is to let you know how honored and valued he was. He was a difficult horse to work with, and he personally presented me 
with the greatest challenges uh, in terms of how to be steady, how to learn how to do things quickly to help this horse. He, he had learned to trust me. I, in a sense, had become, I had been bumped to the, uh, to the, to the head of the class when I really should have been at the back of the class because we had built this relationship of trust. But I really felt like he was just an incredible horse. Like he, he, he was such a brave horse. He was such a, he was such a fine horse. You know, Ray Hunt, I know Ray Hunt said something once about that there's something so fine in every horse. And once they lose that, it's lost forever. And it should have been lost in shadow. But it wasn't. It came back at the very end. And it's so uh, uh, sad to me that it came with the other stuff, too. Stuff that I, I couldn't handle. I couldn't help him with. It would certainly do him no good to hurt me, too. But um, he just, he, he had a lot of impact, this horse, because of who he was before all this happened to him. There was enough of that still left that he helped me learn. He helped Nathan learn just by teaching me how to teach someone like me to do, uh, to help this horse. Certainly the other horsemen I consulted with, he, because of him, uh, Gary Bailey came and did a clinic in Puerto Rico. And then several boys at this foster care program learned from Shadow as well. So, of course, I was very sad about this, and I didn't talk about it for a long time. And uh, about a month or so after Shadow was put down, I went to the foster uh, kid program. I was helping out their horse program director, Diane, there. And, uh, and I just, I love those boys. You know, they're such great kids. And one of the boys who had seen Shadow came up to me. He was one of the ones who'd watched a demonstration a few months beforehand, before Shadow had gotten into his really dangerous phase. And he asked me how Shadow was doing. And I had to tell him that we had euthanized him. And he got this look on his face that was just, oh, it just broke my heart, you know. And uh, so he and I talked about it. And I, I explained it to him. I was very honest, of course. And, and we had this long discussion about Shadow and how he didn't want to hurt people, but he'd had a lot of damage and he didn't know how not to be dangerous when he was trying to be the best that he could be athletically. And, and it was a good discussion. It actually helped me a lot. I told him, hey, you helped me by letting me talk to you about this. And he kind of smiled and went off and went back to where his buddies were, and then he returned with a toy. He had this kind of crazy spinning toy and to show it to me, and we just then resumed our normal conversation. I heard later from the horse program director that that boy had been often withdrawn in some of his therapy and counseling sessions, and she told me that he'd had this big breakthrough not too long after that conversation. Now, that's not because I had a conversation with him, of course, but it's because of Shadow again. And that made me feel so good that Shadow had that kind of impact even after his death. And uh, what an amazing horse. And the other thing that was so cool about Shadow is, and again, he was dangerous for sure, but he was a horse that would not let you feel sorry for him. You know, he was a fighter, he was an athlete, he was a competitor, he was a dragon in every respect. But he was a horse who was never pathetic. And I can't tell you how much I respect and appreciate him. So obviously this is more of a, of a personal podcast than some of my others have been. But I thought 
many of my listeners would really appreciate hearing Shadow's story and understand, I hope, why I continue to work with him and why I regret so much that I couldn't develop the skills in time to fully help him. But to also give all of you an idea of what a great horse he was. And even, even in his most damaged phase, all of the good he put into the world. There are many people to thank for this. Tom and Gary and certainly Kelly at CTA and Shelley and all of the wonderful people at the Puerto Rican track, Diane at the Burke Center. Most of all, Nathan for his great uh, coaching and mentoring. But the biggest debt of gratitude I have is for Shadow himself, for what he taught me and for how he inspired me to become better myself. And in a small gesture of repayment, I adopted Shadow so that he would have a home that loved him on the last day of his life. Thank you for listening to this very personal podcast episode today.